You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 90, covering Transfigurations and Best of Both Worlds, Part 1. Hello, friends. Hi, everyone. It's the end of Season 3, and you know what that means. It means... Season four is next. Is well, what that yes, is. it means that. It also means boring stuff followed by the like awesome stuff. Yeah, we've mentioned before that people seem to like it when we do a bad episode and a good episode. This may be the most, the most best. I, I don't know that I would go that far. Well, the, as, as far as combinations of really not great episodes and really superlative episodes. Yeah, well, this is definitely a terrible episode and a fantastic episode. I, I think maybe once we had, like, the Apple and the Doomsday Machine or something like that, mm-hmm. it might it might not be quite there, but uh, it's, it's pretty great. It's pretty close. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I didn't hate the first one nearly as much as you did. I loathed the first one. I was just completely and utterly bored with it. It like, was this so is, boring. What is happening here? Nothing. And <laughs> you pulled a quote from Memory Alpha that said this is, like, one of the producers saying this is nobody's favorite episode. Yep. <laughs> that pretty much sums it. We don't need to even talk about it. <laughs> but you did write a summary. So I did, somehow. Why don't you tell us about Transfigurations, and I'll Mer- try to stay well. awake. <clears throat> Enterprise is exploring some sort of crash shuttle or some damn thing. Meanwhile, in the grimy underbelly of the ship, Barclay has put in what he swears will be his last trip to the Enterprise's extensive black market for that one last hollow program. He swears for real this time. Unfortunately, while he's perusing pictures of a naked counselor, Troy, tried to the Enterprise just recently by a Ferengi marauder with extremely sophisticated security cameras, he stumbles upon Chief O'Brien being worked over with a length of Jeffrey's tubing by a couple of rough-looking ensigns. O'Brien apparently apparently has been a little late on his payment of the latest of the last case of Andorian brandy he ordered from the rarely seen Lieutenant D, the shadowy kingpin of all that is dirty and illegal aboard the, aboard the Federation's flagship. Barclay is hesitant, but he ra- but he rallies, dropping a load of piping onto the two hired goons and allowing he and the chief to make their escape. After a little awkward conversation about what Barkley and the chief know about the black market, the two part ways, and Barkley returns to his quarters. One naughty hollow program poor, but one a friend richer. That night he wakes up to the smell of something burning and discovers that his quarters have been set on fire. <laughs> Barkley quickly extinguishes the flames, saving most of his collection of early French Revolution erotica, as well as, as well as his collection of gay mustaches. But when he leaves his room, he finds a pad has been nailed to the door. There's a photo of Chief O'Brien on it, tied to a chair with space rope, and a message saying, come alone. Once again, Barclay is hesitant, but he heads down to the, sh- to the rarely seen Deck 101. Two guards let him into the unmonitored cargo deck full of shuttles stolen from under Worf's nose. In the middle of the room sits O'Brien. Barclay goes to untie him, but only for miles to vanish. Sinister laugh comes from behind the shuttlecraft original Galileo, as the actual Chief O'Brien is shoved out at phaser point by Lieutenant D'Amato, the Enterprise's mysterious Lieutenant D. Diamato laughs. Now that he has Barkley where he wants him, he can have Reg provide his quality hollow programs to the highest bidders on the ship. Barkley is about to give in when Miles punches Diamato in the face and they flee. Diamato grins, punching a nearby panel, allowing the screens over the room's windows to, f- to fade, bathing him in the light of a nearby moon. He smiles widely as his incisors begin to grow into fangs. Barkley and O'Brien flee down a hallway where they hear an ear-piercing howl behind them. They turn to see three giant wolves in torn Starfleet uniforms. Barkley, panicking, leads them into a nearby room where Diamato, now a full werewolf, jumps on O'Brien, dislocating his shoulder with an audible pop. 
Neither of the werewolves grabbed Barkley, and all seems lost until Barkley whispers into a nearby replicator, Computer, silver crucifix, and then plunges it into his, his captor's <laughs> eye, and then through the brain of the Amato. The werewolf king dead, the remaining goons revert to normal and flee. O'Brien and Barkley shake hands, resolving never to tell anyone about this ever, and Miles straps on a wetsuit to go get his shoulder looked at by Crusher, who has fallen in love with some stupid god or something, but then he ascends to a higher plane, I guess. The end. Um, Matt? Yes? What episode did you watch? I watched a much more interesting episode in the in the wonderful region of my imagination. <coughs> Matt, your imagination has no place here. <laughs> I would. I move that, that 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 summary be stricken from the record. Denied. That's not what happened, and you know it. Ugh, what happened was so stupid and boring. <coughs> you always sum it up. Okay, they find a wounded guy who can heal himself. He comes aboard. Uh, he doesn't know who he is. He falls in love with Beverly, sort of, kind of, and then his and then his people come looking for him, and then everyone evolves, and it works out okay. The end. Yeah, you know what? You're right. Yours is better. It's, oh, God, it's so boring. Still has to be stricken from the record, though. Whatever. All right, well, then I challenge you to come up with a good thing. The good thing is that now that now that we've done this, I never have to think of it again. No. I actually forgot it. Too. I actually forgot to do a good thing. I but, know uh, you did. The makeup when, uh, what's his face? I guess they call him John Doe. Well, yeah, because they don't know who he's in. Because they don't know what his name is. The and makeup if, on him when he's in, uh, when they find him is pretty good. He doesn't have an arm and uh, yeah. his brain and jaw are all exposed. Yeah, I guess that's pretty cool. And then his makeup improves dramatically when they squeeze him into a sp- into a spandex <laughs> onesie. Yeah, that is that. Oh God, I don't think we've seen anything more disturbing, uh, costuming wise. I refer to it as like a green man suit from uh, from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But then you went up to me by identifying it as the uh, Greendale human being costume. Yes, from Community, he definitely looks like that. Just ugh, unsettling. It's it's. A white outfit. It's all very bright white, mm-hmm. uh, with a turtleneck and like from neck, top of his neck down to his toes in white. And there's about a one molecule width between the outfit and his skin. I have never seen anything accentuate someone's package so perfectly. The buffalo shot was just ah too much area. Yep. Have we covered all of the name the names for? Like seriously, it's it's a shock that uh, that. Uh, uh, Beverly fell in love with him as quickly as she did just because she could see all of him. It's a shock that it's his like her testicles... pants fell off in front of Patrick Stewart. It, it's a shock that his testicles didn't recede into his body in that outfit. In an effort to escape. Well, that, but also because they were clung so tight. <laughs> ah, just off. I've never seen a man with camel toe. Nope. But now I have. Mm-hmm. Now I can die having checked that off my bucket list. So that's a plus. Yeah. Uh, what about your bad thing? Oh, God, where to start or where to begin? I guess my biggest beef with this episode is just how boring it is. Mm-hmm. It drags on and on and on, and everything just seems to be do- like it's been done a billion times in a dozen other better uh, Trek episodes. Yep. There's no chemistry whatsoever between Beverly and John. She just seems to start liking him for no reason, uh, which everyone's like, everyone on the ship just is like, oh, we love this guy. Troy, uh, Troy basically just appears out of nowhere halfway through the episode to tell everyone how worried she is about him. Yep. 
Oh, and he looks like he tried to go down on an egg beater. Yeah, you talked about the makeup at the beginning, but the makeup he wears for most of the rest of the episode looks like, he, you had said, it looked like he put some better latex on and then, like, it got melted somehow or something. Yeah, or like someone walked up to him and just smeared it. Yeah, or like he tried to dry his hair in the hairdryer just uh, melted or it. Or like so he had a Cardassian spoon and someone grabbed it by the bottom and yanked down. Yeah, it just, just terrible. Ugh. Um... Okay, for me, my good thing... Well, there's a whole subplot with Worf teaching Jordy uh, about how to hit on ladies. And we actually get... Uh, uh, what's her name? Christy, uh, the Coco Nono chick. Mm -hmm. That Jordy was uh, unsuccessfully trying to woo in um, in woo. that episode with the with the holodeck where he, he built the program. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, that one. That actually ended up being... Oh, uh, fuck. What was that one? Booby uh, Trap. The, with uh, Leah Bronze. Yeah, I forget. Booby Trap. Yeah. That's <laughs> the one. Booby. Um... No, she was the same. She was the same chick, and now suddenly she's super into Jordy, and he's all awkward. And Worf's like, you know, hey, let me take you under my arm, and I'll show you how to do. You know, take it. Really, Worf? <laughs> yeah. Because you've had you've had one girlfriend in the past three seasons, and she threw herself at you. you there's have... a certain there's a certain proverb about the blind leading the blind that yeah. I think might not be uh, terribly. Uh... PC for this uh, episode. I suppose this is true. But Worf has never, as far as I can tell, successfully, uh, I don't know what the right word is, wooed. Made it with a woman? Well, not even that. I had, Kif, I have made it with a woman. Inform the crew. He hasn't even charmed a woman on the nope. Enterprise, as far as I know. He's never even talked to a woman on the Enterprise outside of, you know, his job. Yeah. I've never like, seen him socializing with a woman. He, he is many things, but he is not a ladies' man. Which is why it was so funny. Yes. Because while he's not, he's more of a ladies' man than Jordy. I do love the idea that he's just, it's not even an issue, he's just completely convinced. Yeah, and I love that the episode opens with them just hanging out. Mm -hmm. He's trying yeah, to become part a, of the nerd squad. That's a weird combination. Yeah, it is. But it's nice. It's like Jordy and Data usually, but Worf's like, hey, can I hang out with you guys? Sure, I guess. But then they're then they're going over like engineering problems and stuff like later on, mm -hmm. and he's like, uh, "Less talk, more drinking." Look, um, I basically came here because you guys said Wesley couldn't make it. So, yeah. uh, except he doesn't know what that who that is. <laughs> but um, you guys are boring. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so my bad thing. This really at the bottom of it was just another filthy rebel episode. Just mm. just different. We had a guy who was different, who had powers to heal, and his people were coming after him because he's he's a rebel and he escaped and he needs to die. Uh, and uh, it's yet another example of somebody's problems of a guy like some problems of a guy we've never met, mm -hmm. who we have nothing invested in, and we really don't care what happens to him. And then he ends up being a rebel, and we just don't care. Nope. And it felt like Gene wrote this episode with the heavy-handed transcending to another plane of existence crap at the end. <laughs> the, that that other plane of existence must be getting really crowded at this point. Yeah, there's there's just a lot of guys milling about, well, now what? I've transcended. <laughs> what what happens now? This is uh, not as great as I had imagined. I guess I'll go play at the edge of the universe for a few hundred years <laughs> and then uh, go back and uh, watch crummy movies again. Yeah. <laughs> This is uh, this was written by I don't know how to say his name Rene yeah one of the DS Nine guys like it's mm -hmm. it's him and Ron Moore and Ira Stephen Bear and they're all great writers but uh, this was not good no the problem that I saw uh, was that it like everyone took a hand at this one like everyone wrote a uh, oh wrote, wrote an a, act uh, an act and yeah then, and there's five uh, acts so five different writers squished them all together not good not and at called all called it good. good. 
they didn't it wasn't good they but it were, wasn't they were wrong it was the opposite yeah the bad one mm-hmm. um I, okay so at the beginning there's this whole bit where john doe which is they call mm. him because he has amnesia because of course he does yep Ugh, fucking amnesia amnesia that's almost worse than turning into stuff but not quite um so he's i don't know what it is his, his head's missing vital juices or something <laughs> so yes, so his vital juice his vital head juice so beverly puts this head juice transfer device on jordy because apparently you can do that now mm-hmm. I, what that's science in the future you can, you glue a metal thing directly onto someone's brain yeah. And by that I mean the exposed areas of his brain where his skull has been knocked well, off. Well, he's got a he's got a screw top uh, head. Oh, like Spock. Like in the Man with Two Brains, or yes, Spock's brain. Um, and, and then you stick the other end on Jordy, and apparently everyone's healed. It's like jumper cables. It's like yes! it's like the dude needed to be jump started, and Jordy's like, sure, I'll do it. And brain so, jumper cables. And so this weird glowy energy goes into him, and you think, okay, later on. When you find out that this guy has healing powers, you're like, okay, well, he must have healed Jordy somehow. All he did was give Jordy a little more confidence with the ladies. Like, what did he heal? I don't think that's a thing that you can just heal. No, that's a personality issue, and it's mm-hmm. not even an issue necessarily. He's just shy. Yeah. It's not really a – he's not injured. It's not like when Worf just casually dies and no one cares and he brings him back to life. Yep. Like so much Scotty. <laughs> It was Scotty that, by the way, that the, Nomad killed, right? There's a segment of this where Worf falls off a banister. Of course he does. There's a guardrail, and of course you fall over it yeah, because that's what kill. you do. Yeah, and he dies. He just flat out dies. Yep. He breaks his neck. Yep. It's actually a really well shot scene. Like for all the problems and the boringness this episode had, it, it like both times we watched this it was like ow because they show the impact of him falling, and there's this nice bone crunch sound, and it's like mm-hmm. ah, oh. and he's dead. But then he's back and, like, uh, what's his face? John runs over and places his healing magic hands on him and says a couple of magic words and comes back to life, none the wiser. Apparently. Yeah, I'm not a fan of I didn't of have time well. for his, like, third or fourth Klingon spine to kick in. <laughs> I did not like that. Okay, so there's a scene. I actually don't think that Crusher fell in love with him. She was fond of him, mm. but she, and uh, she never explicitly said, I'm in love with him. They never kissed. I don't think this is quite the Troy falling in love with everyone every week thing. Mm. I think she's just as a as a doctor kind of did the whole Florence Nightingale thing and kind of fell for her patient. But right, I don't think it was a full on like romance. Like I, I don't think this counts. In that, in, I don't. I don't know. She did have an in depth conversation with her son. Well, about. and that's that's what I was building to here. There was a really really awkward, and Wesley did not act like it was awkward, but he sure as hell should have. Mm-hmm. God knows I was. And he's like, "So you into him?" She's like, "Well, he makes my vagina tingle." But and, and Wesley's <laughs> like, on. "Really, vagina, huh?" As someone who's emerged from it, let me just ask you some more about that. The, the whole scene, we were both just going, stop, somebody stop, somebody call time. Ugh. Are you guys playing chicken? Because, ah, somebody needs to, to say <laughs> uncle here. Gross mom sex chicken. Gah. The worst game ever. Yeah, unfortunately, I've played that game before. Oh. My mom likes to share details as well, only I tell her to stop. <laughs> yeah, not cool. Uh, so that was fun. There's a, there's a bit where... Jordy's trying to figure out what's going on, and he actually exclaims, Well, what do you know? <laughs> like he's a 30s cartoon character on a, on a moving background of Skid Row, bouncing up and down on his knees, going, Hey, well, what do you know? <laughs> and he started whistling and playing the ukulele. Yep. And then uh, 
data started bouncing up and down the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then various flowers grew out of the Enterprise and started singing. Like they do. Uh-huh. Steamboat Billy Boy? <laughs> We, this was one of those episodes where we just talked about everything but this. Yep. Anything is better than watching that episode. Yeah. We've talked Batman into the ground, and we're still like, so, uh, Dark Knight was pretty great, huh? Yep. Anything but this. <laughs> In fact, looking over your notes now, mm-hmm. there's a bit where you go, ah, and you just type the letter A for, I don't know, six pages. Yep. Could I please... I was bored. Could I please be doing literally anything ever? <laughs> oh, Matt, you're going to look back on these one day. Mm, I'm not looking forward to that. That's the day we start Voyager. (laughs) All right, anything else? God, no. Can we just do my quote? Yes, let's hear it. Okay, here's Worf and and Wesley. Wesley? Here's Worf and Jordy. Well, I'll see you around. I have much to teach you about women. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. All right. Now let's never speak of it again, Ugh. except for the time we you have to do. You guys can't see this, but I'm brushing my hands of this episode. Yeah, I was about to say, except for the video wrap-up we still have to do, and then again, the uh, the episode guide we have to do. Just two more times we have yes, to think about this Yes, but after that. After that, yes. All right. Now let's move on to Best of Both Worlds. Woo! Woohoo. Okay, so Starfleet receives a distress call from an outpost on Oulala and sends its finest Frenchman to investigate. O'Brien beams an away team to the center of town, but all they find is a hole in the ground and no people. You can't even begin to imagine how difficult it is for me not to make a joke about my old hometown here. The empty hole ends up being the most terrifying empty hole in the galaxy because it signifies that the Borg have set their foot on the Federation's delicately maintained lawn, and they're probably not coming to get their frisbee off the Federation's roof. (laughs) So Admiral Hansen arrives with Starfleet's hotshot young Borg specialist, Commander Shelby. Shelby is the sort of take-charge woman that Matt usually seems to hate, but she's also kind of attractive, so I honestly don't know what he's going to think. Uh, Shelby's primary job is to help the Enterprise prepare for the arrival of the Borg, but her secondary function is to cock-block Billy Boy and to make him feel old and slow and generally useless. You know, conflict. Riker's been offered another command, you see, and Shelby wants his job. Except Riker doesn't want to leave his friends, presumably because he knows how to take all their money in poker every week, and learning how to grift a whole new set of people is a whole lot of trouble. While Riker is agonizing over all this, the Borg show up and outclass the Enterprise in every measurable way, and a few new ways they didn't even know about. Just like last time. Only now they specifically want Picard for some reason. They must have seen Captain's Holiday, I guess, because honestly, we all kind of wanted him after that. (laughs) Anyway, after some chasing and various mournful, soul-searching monologues, the Enterprise is caught by the Borg, who beam aboard and start their own collection of TNG figures with a mint-in-body Season 3 JLP. The Enterprise manages, barely, to keep up with the Borg and sends a couple other guys over to try and get him back. Unfortunately, the best they can do is destroy a few of their internet routers, which causes them to drop out of warp for some reason. Then they see Picard, and he's, well, you know. Who the hell doesn't know this episode by this point? They turned him into a Borg. Even my mom knows that. So the away team beams back, and Riker prepares their latest attempt at a weapon when they're hailed by the Borg ship. Specifically by Picard, who has changed his name to Locutus and is wearing all black. Yeah, we've all gone through that phase. Uh, Locutus demands their immediate surrender, to which Riker says nuts to that, and orders Worf to fire. And if you're wondering what happens next, so was I in 1990! Fortunately, you only have to wait two weeks to find out if you're following along with us. And actually, if you're watching on DVD or Netflix, you could just really pop in the next episode right away. But when this aired, I had to wait three months. Ah! (laughs) This was the first big cliffhanger that Star Trek ever did. 
it is the finest, like, it is absolutely perfect. Yeah, as next-gen episodes go, this almost always uh, uh, gets the top spot when people are making, like, top five, top ten, whatever. Mm. And while it might, may not be my favorite one, mostly because I've watched it a million, billion times, yeah, it's way the fuck up there. It'd probably be in my top five or top ten. It is it should, just so amazing. Every time I try it, like, I've made... In the time we've been writing together, I've done a few cliffhanger jokes, and mm-hmm. every time I do... It is always trying to recapture the end of this episode. Yeah, because you don't. First of all, they don't put part one in the in the title. Mm-hmm. You think, oh well, everything's going to wrap up nicely at the end because this show doesn't do like that. Yeah, it's got, it's just a big thing to end the season. And then what? Fire! What? 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 Mm-hmm. No. Also, I should point out, up to this point, uh, Trek Next Gen had never done a two-parter. No, and the only two-parter in Star Trek history to this point was the Menagerie, Mm -hmm. which was really only a two-parter because they wanted to spread out as much of the cage as they possibly could. Yeah, like, people forget because uh, it sort of became tradition to end end a season and start a season on a cliffhanger. Yeah, all the shows uh, ended up doing that. This was the first one. Yeah, and it is a fucking... It might be the best one. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. The next one is the the Klingon Civil War, which is pretty good. Mm Um... Let's see, season, what was that? That's season four into five. Season five into six was Time's Arrow, which I hated. It's certainly not stupid, uh, stupid Lore's Magic Castle. No, that was six into seven. So, yeah. DS9 did them, did them really well. Actually, this did something that DS9 would pull off really well, which is something is coming. Mm-hmm. And we're going to spend two-thirds of the finale just dreading that. Yep. And really building the tension and really getting the audience to, to really be scared of it. And they do it so effectively here. Mm. The, the Borg mostly are off-screen or looming or coming, but they're actually not there Like for less than half. They're there for less than half of the episode. Mm-hmm. And it's so good. All right. My good thing? Well, duh. It's the best of both worlds. Do I even need to provide a good thing? Oh, fine. I love the Riker arc. I really feel like he has this weird daddy issue with Picard that he doesn't want to move on until he can somehow prove that he's better than Picard. And then he kind of has to. He totally gets what he wants, but at a horrible cost. So, you want to be better than Picard, eh? Well, yeah, no, I'll fix it so you get that way. And it's a very, like, sort of classic mythological, like, he has to kill his, you know, father yeah. authority figure before he can become, you know, it's it's very... Classic he has mythology. to kill Picard and then have sex with uh, with uh, Bill Senior with with Shelby. <laughs> I'd much rather that. Um, and my bad thing, uh, well, the Borg are still allowing Starfleet guys to beam directly over to their ship and ignore them since they aren't a threat, which sort of made sense in Q Who, but they you'd think they learn by now. Mm-hmm. You'd think whenever guys are beaming over, they're probably going to fuck with something or shoot something or something. It's weird that they adapt to so many other things, but they still don't care if a bunch of guys just come over to their ship and poke around. Yeah, and that never goes away. Like, nope. that happens on, as far as I know, all the other Trek uh, board episodes right. that, are, that are coming up. They, like, it's just, you guys know they're there. Go do something about it. And I understand. It's not like they're just there to look around and then leave. No, and I understand initially that the idea is that they're not perceived as a threat. Mm-hmm. But they should know by now that humans will, you know, take any chance they get and, and fuck shit up whenever they can. They're going to shoot your internet router. Yeah, that's not cool. Yeah, what the hell, dude? You could be, you could have been downloading stuff. Yep. Uh, what about you? Good thing, bad thing? Uh, well, you kind of touched on my good thing a little bit. The uh, Where did it go? Ah, here we are. Uh, like you said, there's a lot to like about this one, but uh, I love the tangible feeling of dread this episode has. Yep. Uh, by and large, TNG is a pretty chipper show, 
And even when the odds are down, we know our guys are going to be pretty much okay. But this one just felt like bad shit was coming, and we were completely not ready for it. Yep. And then that dread hits this perfect boiling point at the end of the episode. Well, when uh, there's that great shot when they're on the Borg ship of uh, Picard. Yeah, and he's turned profile. And he's got all the uh, the Borg stuff on yep. his, the side of his head. And you're just like, oh, fuck. And then they have to leave. And they're like, what? No, go get him. Get him. Ah, no. <laughs> no. And then Worf runs into a wall. Yep. It's, An invisible wall, but still. He's he's practicing his miming. <laughs> now I'll just pull on this rope. There's... The, as we have said before, the Borg end up being sort of defanged and just sort of, like, they keep bringing them back. But right now, you're absolutely right. They're this looming, unstoppable thing. Mm-hmm. And right now, it, in and of itself, this is the coolest thing this show has ever done. Yeah. Because you're done. You're, you're finished. You cannot, at every turn, they have you outclassed. And that's probably why they're allowed to beam over there. Because dramatically, if you don't have something, mm-hmm. then you're well, just staring just like at them. They just literally do not care. Yeah, you're just staring at them on a view screen the whole time. Yeah. So you have to you have to allow for that. So I understand that. But it still, in, internally, doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. The, the, a lot of people remember this. There was a rumor, and it was just a rumor, and maybe Paramount created it, I don't know, that Patrick Stewart was not happy, that he wanted to go back to serious acting, and that maybe he wouldn't be coming back in season four. Maybe that they were bringing Shelby to be the new first officer and it would be the Captain Riker show. Mm. And that was real. I remember that. That was a real thing that people were like, ooh, what's what's going to happen? And as we've been saying all season three, they just started getting you to really like Picard. Season yeah, one no, and two... They, they've done such a good job of building him up yeah. as, as the season goes on. But season one and two, he was so unlikable. He was so distant, and we just didn't care about him at all. And and then season three, he it t- turns this corner, and like you kept saying, every week he had a badass moment, and yep. he was indignant, speechifying Picard, and he was, like, compassionate, defending people's lives, Picard, and he was, everything about him was just perfect. And then they're going to yank him away from us. Yep. Just so perfect. And... I, my problem with part two, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, is that they just find this sort of loophole and like, oh, now oh, they're dead. I think that needs to come at a cost. Mm. I think you really need to sacrifice something, and they kind of cra- they kind of cheaped out on that. Yeah, at the very least, he should have lost an arm or something. Or they would have had to kill a main character or, you know, kill off yeah. Shelby even. Something. Something that there were stakes, and it really was just, nope, we found a loophole. And again, actually, I was reading on uh, Memory Alpha. There was an early version of the script where the, the board were the board were going to have a uh, combination of uh, Picard and uh, Data. Right, I remember that. Which I assume would have been Picard getting sealed in armor made of Data. <laughs> I just think I, w- I was reading that as well, and, and what they said was, "Okay, why? Well, we don't know. We just think it'd be cool. All right, lose it." I mean, yes, it would be cool, but... Uh, no, thematically, they set this up beautifully, because Riker's doubting his future and whatever, mm-hmm. and suddenly he's thrown into the big chair. It's like, oh, yep. fuck, now what? Uh, so, your bad thing? Uh, my bad thing. I am not a huge fan of the Borg's makeup in this. Okay. Um, there's a lot of weird black spaces they've got. A lot of it looks really unfinished. See, I like that. I like the Borg makeup here. I like the design of the Borg in this and Q-Who way better than I like the first contact design, which they're all kind of splotchy and pointy. Sort of zombie-esque. Yeah, I don't really like that that take on the Borg. It just it makes them a little less unique and a little more generic to me. Mm-hmm. But now, yeah. that being said, they do some really they have some really neat makeup choices in this that uh, we see here in Never Again. 
like we we get the usual like one clear boar guy, one uh, boar guy that's got like a thing in it, like you mm-hmm. know a claw or a blender or a laser pointer or something. Sure. This one had like uh, Borg with like both eye things or like a weird sort of mouthpiece. Yeah, there was very one who cool had and very hey really giger. <laughs> hey really giger. Hey. Uh, none of that ever gets used again. There were there was one guy who had eye things and a mouth thing, and it looked like he was wearing an old timey gas mask, and it was a very cool look. Yes, I I just I I love the look of the ship, and I love the look of the guys, and I just I love all of that. It's just, it's awesome. Yeah, it is everything about it. The the teaser at the beginning is like a minute long. Oh, the teaser's perfect. But they like there's a crater, and it's like fuck. Now what? Yeah, and if you've been paying attention. Uh, like that, they've been they've been building those craters for a while. Like you know, they sort of built up to uh, Q Right, and but yeah, they mentioned that the uh, the Romulans have been encountering that, but because they're the Romulans, they're not sharing any information. Yeah, and but, also the Romulans, so who cares? Oh, we, jerks. Okay, I don't know. Between the Romulans and the Borg, I, I think fighting the Romulans, you might be able to at least outsmart them. Well, I mean, it's easier. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Especially once they have uh, what's her face. Who shall be? Here comes uh, Tasha's daughter again. Oh, yeah. Let's all look really scared until she goes away. Yeah, and she won't go away for a really long time. Uh, The music in this was fucking outstanding. Yeah, I don't usually notice uh, Trek music, but uh, this was awesome. I don't notice it being good. The problem is they usually overdo it, like, especially in the last episode, which, if you'll remember, was Transfigurations, Matt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't remember, do you? I don't remember anything about Transfiguration. Um... There was, uh, there was like, really overpowering. Like, that's probably why you thought Beverly fell in love with the guy. Because just really overpowering, like, the music telling you what to feel stuff. Mm. Whereas this, it felt like a fucking movie score. Yes. And uh, they actually released a soundtrack album of this, and, and I bought it at the time because it's so good. Yeah, it's it's, just, it's awesome. Yeah, it is. Just, I, it's, I've talked about this before, like, on this episode. Just that last shot with that as the music just blares it's just such a perfect cinematic moment yep and then goodbye yep see ya i think produced by gene Roddenberry. oh god damn it there's um there's a really there's there's i don't think gene had anything to do with this it it feels like they finally removed his whole like everyone needs to get along and everyone needs to transcend to a higher plane and there was i mean like people not getting along is all over this episode look at Riker and shelby for crying out loud they're even just their looks yep they shoot each other these glares just like what the fuck dude it's just and all like over all, the, all this acting from Frakes whenever, oh, like, yeah. after he's had a moment with Shelby, when he has to go back to his guys, just be like, oh, my God. Yeah. No, we and we've mentioned this before. Everyone in this cast is a pretty good actor, but Frakes really steps up in this episode. He mm. is outstanding. Well, yeah, he has to. This is his episode. This is yep. a huge Riker episode. And I thought that was a really good choice to, to make this a Riker episode. Mm. That was a really, like, uh, I, I thought powerful because, you know. He he could so easily. We've said this before. He could so easily be the bland guy in the middle. Mm-hmm. Who cares about the first officer? We care about either the guys doing the work or the captain. The first yep. officer could be just completely forgettable. He could just be a bland white guy who's just like, yeah, I'm the tough guy and I'm the ladies' man. But somehow, he's great. Like, the, yeah, there's just there's something there. Yeah, no, I really like it. And he's fantastic. And Shelby, like, they have immediate chemistry in the sense they just hate each other. Yeah, not good chemistry. No, but chemistry they play nonetheless. They each other perfectly. Right. It's quite, quite good. And she's just like, oh, going over your head again. Yeah. You're in my way. I want your job. 
Yeah, that's great. Like, just the way she's just completely blatant about it. Yep. Um, I just, overall, I like this deep character stuff, and there's really, I don't think we've ever really delved into the minds of these characters as much as we've done in this episode. Mm. I Blended with just the, the pew-pew action, like, you know. Oh, there's some serious pew-pew action. This, on the pew-pew scale, is like ten pew-pews. Well, yeah, I mean, when they're given a phaser to Beverly. Yeah, which, as I mentioned in our, well, the supplemental recorded before this, but you actually won't hear it until next week. But Gates McFadden said, uh, I, I want to shoot a phaser. It looks fun. <laughs> and that's why she gets to shoot the pork. And it was fun. Yeah. No, I just, I like, I like that they were able to find that proper balance between really intense action and really good character stuff. And I feel yeah. like the, the next gen movies never did that. They were no, really no, they trying to, they were really trying to both get inside the character's heads and do the big action, and they, I kind of failed at both to me, but. Well, and I, I think we've talked about this, their Picard is not quite right. No. Which is weird, because all of those were written by guys who wrote the series. Mm-hmm. It's not like they farmed out the writing to people who didn't get it. No. They were written by Ron Moore, Brandon Braga, uh, Michael Piller, I think, and like all the guys who helped make these guys who they are. Yeah. And just not super clear on what, how these characters are supposed to be acting. Yeah. Or trying to amp them up for movies and trying to make them more relatable to, to audiences, probably. Have a car drive around in a dune buggy for no reason. Yeah. Speaking of, of movies, specifically First Contact, First Contact would later introduce the retcon that uh, the Borg Queen was all, there all along. Mm. I don't like that. I was there when you were looking. Yeah, stuff. and we'll talk about that when That's we get there. But the uh, specifically, the Borg have a line that say, uh, your archaic cultures are authority-driven, you will speak for us. Mm. Well, your fucking archaic culture is authority-driven, too, if you have a fucking queen. Yep. Like, that's even more archaic. You have a monarchy. What's wrong with you? <laughs> At least we have the vote. Right. So, there was that. I There was some really good acting from the guys playing the Borg, because when they get shot and they're done, they don't stumble back they don't do the dramatic clutching their chest they just fall yep and i love that just like a tree going over like somebody cut their strings because i think what happens is the collective just kind of turns them off yep and and it's a really nice bit of like uh we noticed on this one through like the dead borg on the uh on the ship just vanishes yeah i didn't catch that in earlier viewings because two of them beam away and the third one doesn't have the same beaming effect, but also disappears. Yeah. There's actually supposed to be ashes behind. They actually disintegrate him. Mm-hmm. And what they do is the um, the living Borg take the, the the usable parts and then just disintegrate the guy. And that's pretty badass, too. Yeah. And it really lends itself to the whole collective thing. Well, we're using what's useful and getting rid of the rest. Yep. We don't need this anymore. Yep. And we could just go on and on about how amazing this is, because really, it is it is about as perfect as it's, as an episode of Star Trek can get. Yep. And the only real complaint that I have, like, we, we picked a few nits because we had to find bad things. Yeah, I mean, that's just that's, the show. Works. That's the format of the yeah. show now. But my only real thing, and we'll get to this in a couple of weeks, is I think part two does not pay off the promise of this. Mm. I, it's good. It's quite, quite good. Yeah, I don't remember, so I'm looking forward to sort of checking that out and seeing. It's just they're this unstoppable force, and the way they defeat them is really kind of lame. Yeah. It's not like they outsmart them or outpower them or, like I say, have to have to sacrifice anything. They just find a loophole and win. Yeah, we really should have lost someone with this. Well, they did the whole Wolf 359 thing, which we'll get to. That's true. And Cisco loses his wife, mm. which is awful. My wife! I can't believe you killed my wife! Captain Picard! Yeah. 
Um, anything else? Um, I think that's all my notes here. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we could go on and on, but that, the gist of it is this is the best the show has ever been. We we still got some great stuff ahead. It's not like the show's peaked and it's going to go downhill. Mm. But this is this is like perfect. This is the next gen sweet spot. They have arrived, and it's great. Yep. This is what got most people's attention. Where they're like, "Oh, I don't care. I like Kirk and Spock. Who cares?" And then this happened. Like, "Ooh, that looks <laughs> cool." All right, I'm in. I remember the summer of uh, uh, 1990. They uh, all summer the radio ran ads for Part Two's uh, debut, mm. which they had never done before. The the radio never ran ads, hardly ever ran ads for TV shows, but occasionally for the big shows, but definitely not for Star Trek, right? Which is a cult show at best and ran in syndication, not on a network. And there were ads all over the place, like find out what happened to Captain Picard, see what Captain Riker is going to do next. Like, you're like Captain Riker? Yeah, what? Oh no! Are they going to kill? Oh god! But they did a really good job of stoking and like those rumors, like I said about Patrick Stewart, may have mm-hmm. been. Created by Paramount may have been real. Who knows? But they did a great job of stirring people up to this fever pitch leading into part two. And apparently part two had huge ratings because everyone was like, oh, my God. Yep. What next? I mean, that must have saved them for another couple of years. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this is what got them not worrying at the end of every season if they were ever going to come back. And this is a gamble a lot of shows take now where they do a a cliffhanger and hope. The network's not going to cancel us because we got to finish the story. That did not work for Twin Peaks, my friend. No, sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. We're still wondering how Annie is. Yeah. So. <laughs> Annie, are you okay? Yeah. Are you okay, Annie? Any further business? Uh, no. All right. Uh, my quote is the most obvious quote I will ever pick, which is the last uh, 30 to 60 seconds of the episode. And it goes thusly. I am Locutus. Resistance is futile. Your life as it has been is over. From this time forward, you will service us. Mr. Worf. And now, like us, you will have to wait a couple of weeks to find out what happens next. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, dun. So good luck with all that. Um, next week, as is our custom, we will be doing a supplemental show where we answer your mail. Mm-hmm. And we will also be doing a video summary of Season 3. Then the following week, we will pick it up with uh, Best of Both Worlds Part 2. So look forward to that. And um, to those of you joining us for the first time who, who maybe found us through our puppet shows or, or what have you, I've gotten a few signs here and there that people are joining us. Uh, welcome. We we yep. welcome you. We hope you're enjoying the show. And uh, that's about it. So, Matt, take us out. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun.